Let's pray as we get into opening God's word, shall we? Father God, I want to thank you for this word. I want to thank you for the book of John. I want to thank you for the challenge that we will look at today. And I ask you, Lord Jesus, to speak to us. Come, Holy Spirit, speak into our being, I pray. In Jesus' mighty name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Just before I do open up the word a bit more, um, down the front, in front of the nativity scenes, is some hampers. We've given out 30 hampers this week already. But because Oikos, my Oikos is real, um, you may know someone, one of your neighbours, one of your friends, one of the people that Brendan talked about may have lost his job or her job this week or this week coming. Then if they're doing it tough this Christmas... You know, maybe they're not going to have the bank foreclose on their house or whatever, but maybe they're doing it tough and they just need a little bit of Christmas cheer. Grab one of these hampers. Come and see me today and say, Donnie, as soon as you said that, someone's name popped into my heart. Can I have a hamper to give to them? And I want to give it to you. We, as a church, want to give it to you. Say, go and be the hands and feet of Jesus to people in your community, your neighbours, your friends, your family that need that help and support. Because it's Christmas time, and we can. What if, what if in the very first Star Wars movie, at the very beginning, everyone know the very first Star Wars movie? I'm not talking about number one, I'm talking about number four. Is that right, Nat? Because we all know that Mr. Lucas can't count. So starting at number four, at the very beginning of Star Wars, there's this massive big ship chasing this little ship. If at the very beginning, that big ship, what if that big ship didn't decide to try and suck the little ship in, but just went, nah, not in the mood. Boom! Little ship blown to pieces. Princess Leia, dead. R2-D2, a million pieces. The plans, gone. No more Star Wars. What if... What if Bruce Willis, at the most famous of all Christmas stories, Die Hard, did not go to the tower but just went home to where his kids were and where his wife was going to come home eventually to? Boom, the bad guys get away. No more Die Hards. (laughs) What if Cynthia... (laughs) she's rolling her eyes already what if Cynthia instead of coming to Bible college in Tawong from Toowoomba went to university and became a doctor or a dentist or a veterinarian or a lawyer or something else instead of just coming to Bible college she would have never met me What if Donnie, when he was in grades 11 and 12, who was given a scholarship to go to tech college, didn't go back to 11 and 12, didn't get a TE score and stayed in telecom? Because when I went to Bible college, I had a minimum TE score that I needed to have to get into Bible college. If I didn't get a TE score, I wouldn't have got into Bible college. Being a tech man, apparently, for telecom wouldn't have cut it, Arthur. I know, hard to believe. 
What if that TE score, because I, I did go back to grade 11 and 12, what if the TE score I got, because one of the worst things you can tell a young person, and, and most of your parents will know this, is just go back to school, don't worry about studying, just enjoy grade 11 and 12. Okay, I'm up for that. I'll play sport, I'll chase girls, I'll play more sport, and then I won't study. But I still got a TE score. Without going in, like the day that we did the TE exams, I call them, they used to call them QCS, I don't know what the government calls them these days, uh, OPs and all that sort of stuff. On the day of it, I wasn't even aware we were doing them. And everyone's going, oh, Donnie, aren't you stressed? What for? I'm into tech college. I don't give a care. My minimum TE score that I needed to get into Bible college was 745. Guess what TE score I got? 745 without even trying. What if? What if Jesus never was born? There's a book called What If Jesus Was Never Born by a guy called Dr. James Kennedy and with a bloke called Jerry Newcomb. They um, wrote a lot of amazing things in here. They went into great detail. Again, if you'd like to borrow this book, it's just sitting on my desk, taking up space. A whole bunch of things that they go into. They talk about education from the Jewish roots and how education was very big. There's a whole section on science There's more scientists on three pages than I've ever read before in my whole life who were all followers of Jesus Christ and why they became scientists because they believed in a God who created the world. And uh, Joseph Lister was an antiseptic surgery. Bacteria, Louis Pasteur. Pasteur? 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 Anyway. Uh, Calculus, Isaac Newton. It just goes on and on. Fluid mechanics, George Stokes. Gas dynamics, Robert Doyle. I'm picking the names I can say easily. (laughs) Gynecology, gynecology, James Simpson. You know, amazing. All because of their faith. They went and did this amazing study. I want to read you one section. There's so many good sections in this book. They go into details. What if, what if, what if, what if... Let's open to this page. In 325 AD, who knows what happened in 325 AD? Very good, very good, Paul. The Council of Nicaea. They made a very important ruling. They put together the Nicaean Creed, which is something we use a lot uh, in Christendom around the world. But one of the other things that they did that I wasn't aware, they said this. They passed a decree that every church plant or every church that was established would also start a hospital. How cool is that? Because guess what? In 325 AD, guess who got to go to hospital? Soldiers, the rich, the important. Everyone else who got sick were often just put out into the areas outside and did the old unclean, unclean, stay away from them. The church said, no, we will look after those who are unclean. 
And we're going back into an era in 325 when death had so much more funkiness about it. We get to understand it a little bit more today. What if is my theme, if you haven't picked it up. If you've got your Bibles there, please open to the book of John. John chapter 1. We're going to concentrate on the first 14 verses today. I'm just going to read through the verse 5 to get us started. I'm reading from the NIV today, and I'm reading from a paper one. There you go, there's something different. Here we go. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Do you get the point? He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that was, has ever been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We just sang two beautiful songs. Thank you, Sarah and the team, that talked about that. The light coming into the world. Now, I want you to say with me, and the light, uh, sorry, and the darkness did not overcome it. And the darkness did not overcome it. The darkness did not overcome it. The light of Christ is in you. The darkness of this world will not overcome it. The light of Christ is in you. It's in me. It's in us, the church. We are the light on the hill. Not to be hidden, not to be pushed away. We have a hope that does not disappoint. We are in Jesus Christ, our Lord. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, there is a promise of a light coming into the darkness. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, they were waiting for this light to come into the darkness. Because we can look around the world and we can see darkness, can't we? Most of us have worked with different people in different ways that are coming in and out of darkness. As I sat and reflected on um, 35 years of ministry, the number of different people that I've worked with, people I've visited in jail, people I've visited at the hospital. One of the guys I met in jail, I didn't go in to visit him. I went in to meet with a, a, a petty thief who took a knife when he robbed someone. So it went from petty thief to up here. He was at Sir David Longland's. If you've ever been in Sir David Longlands, it is an oppressive prison. It is the worst of the worst. And I waited to go into my little cubicle to spend time with this young man. And as that happened, a massive big bloke walked down the corridor with a guard behind him. And he stopped in front of me and he said, G'day. And I said, G'day. And he said, you're here visiting someone? I said, yes. He said, that's great. We need to get visits. And we went on a five, ten-minute chat. And as he walked away, I thought, wow, what a nice man. And as he walked, I looked at him from behind, and he had a shaved head. I didn't know whether that was because of his choice or his hair had all fallen out, and he just shaved it anyway. But in the back of his head was not a tattoo of a swastika, but an indentation into the back of his skull of a swastika. It wasn't going anywhere. Okay, what's his story? And when I got into my room, the guy I was visiting 
saw him leaving, and the first thing he said to me was not, hi, Donnie. He said, are you okay? I said, yes, I'm okay. Why? Did that guy do anything to you? No. He is really bad news, Donnie. He's a triple murderer. He's this. Everyone in here is scared of him. I went, ah, I just had a nice chat to him. (laughs) Donnie, what is the hope of Christ in you for? In John chapter 1, reading from verse 9, it says, The true light has come into the world, that everyone was coming into the world, and in him the world and through the world that they might know him. The world did not recognize him. He came to which were not his own, but his own, sorry, he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, he gave the opportunity that who believed in his name, he came to give them the right to become children of God. The right to become children of God. What Jesus gives us is an incredible promise for our future. In the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 3 and 4, We're jumping to the end of the story, aren't we? Book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 3 and 4. He says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will be with them. Now, I know some may argue that that is uh, end time, like that's when we get to heaven and that's where it all takes place then. But I'm telling you, God is with us now. And that is where my hope is based because God is with me. But also my hope is also based in the fact that heaven is my future. I have a home with my Lord and my God. For he has gone before me and his promise is secure. It is not pie in the sky, maybe. It is definite reality. My hope is in Jesus Christ. Why? Why can I put my hope in Jesus Christ? Well, John tells us that that Jesus was there from the very beginning. From the very beginning, Jesus was there. Nothing came into being without him being a part of it. So that gives me great hope that Jesus was always part of God's plan. God's plan of salvation. God's plan for you and me all the way from the very beginning. And in him is life. Again, in verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. My confidence is in that, that he came, he lived, he died, he rose again. My confidence and my hope is in the promises that he gives us. He promises to never leave us nor forsake us. Never leave us nor forsake us. And I can guarantee you there will be times when you feel like he has. But if we believe God's word, we know that he hasn't. And sometimes our feelings 
are not correct. His promise for us is to be children of God. We're sons and daughters of the King. My big brother's Jesus. And I hope and pray you can say exactly the same thing. You are a son or a daughter of the King. You've made that commitment. You put up your hand and said, yep, I want to follow Jesus. I want to give my life to him. I want to walk with him and talk with him every day of my life. I want it to be real. I want it to be significant. He promises that we would be a light into the darkness. And as Brendan mentioned earlier, we've got some people who are walking around and they're struggling. And it's as if they're in darkness. It's as if the world is turning against them and we need to be that light and sharing with them and walking with them and talking to them. If we sat down right now and listed off a whole bunch of things, like the council has challenged us as the church to pray into the areas of domestic violence, in the area of suicide, in the area of racism, we could list them all off. And then some of those will affect you, some of them you walk across, some of you the heartbreak in the families that you know that live in your street or at your school or at your uni. We are to be God's people in that situation, to be the light of Christ, to have that voice of hope into those situations. See, my hope is not about escaping all the tough stuff, which I I know some of us wish that we could. Come to Jesus and all your problems will just magically disappear. Say a prayer and everything will be all right. Well, you know what? Sometimes being in the centre of God's will is the scariest place in the world. But Jesus is with you and he walks with you in and through those times. It challenges us out of our comfort zones and leads us on into victory. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. Romans chapter 5. Verses 3 and 4. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let's read that again. Also, glory in your sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope, and a hope that does not put us to shame, or as in some of you says, a hope that does not disappoint. This is the good news. This is why we know that our hope is in Jesus Christ. Today, what motivates us to move forward in following Jesus? What if today we were indeed a voice of hope in and through the community? What if today we were indeed a people who introduced other people to a new hope in Jesus Christ? What if today 
we grabbed hold of God's word, his precious word to us. And we said, yes, that is true. Yes, the suffering in my life is leading to perseverance. And that perseverance is going to develop a strong character. And our character is so important to God. That holiness, that aspect. And that character will lead to a hope that does not disappoint. Are you ready for the hard work? If we run this race, there's going to be some hard work to be done. There's going to be some time on our knees praying. There's going to be some challenges getting out of our comfort zones. Why would God call me to do that? Can't I just do this, which I'm good at? First point of everything is to be obedient to what God calls us to do and to follow through with all the strength and courage that he gives us, that he gives us. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, there's a challenge of stepping up and taking a hope to the hopeless. Again, there's that picture of the light into the darkness, the hope to the hopeless. What if Jesus was calling us to be a voice of hope to our community? Not just at Christmas, but all year round. That we would be the light of Christ in and through our community.